Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom of the Soul from the Southern California desert. It's a pleasure to be with you. I hope you're in the holiday spirit. It is that time of year. Uh, It's a time that a lot of us experience is very stressful because there's just so much to do. And yet, uh, you never want to get so worked up or stressed out that you miss the true joy of the season, families coming together, uh, the giving, the fun, the recollections of childhood, uh, the jingle bells and the merry, merry this, and joyous that. I I hope that uh, the greetings of the season and the happiness of the season is with you. I also was reminded recently I got an email from somebody who wanted me to recommend some books, and I thought, gosh, I uh, I have forgotten to mention that I do have a book list on one of my websites. It's my podcast site. So if you just went to michaelbenner.com and clicked on the podcast uh, button, it'll take you there, or directly at theagelesswisdom.com. And up in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see reading list. If you just click on those words, reading list, you'll find some of my favorites in two columns, two categories, personal development and spiritual development. And uh, scroll down through that list and let your intuition be your guide and get yourself a new book or two or more. (laughs) to read over the holidays and thereafter. There's just so many wonderful books on the subject, on the topic. TheAgelessWisdom.com or go into the main site, MichaelBenner.com and click on the podcast button and it's up on the upper right reading list. Check it out for your dining and dancing pleasure. Today we're going to talk about the soul. It's not that the idea of an indwelling soul is incorrect. It's in the wisdom traditions of the world, mysticism, it's understood that the indwelling soul is an extension or a fragment or a reflection, an outpicturing of an oversoul that exists above and free of form. And this is an ancient, and yet, for the last 2,000 years, a very radical idea, not only that the soul overshadows, but that um, the concept used to be called the pre-existence of the soul, and it suggests reincarnation or transmigration, that the soul incarnates again and again. And transmigration even suggests that 
we could live lives as humans and be reincarnated as animals uh, or other creatures, even insects. Though there's nothing to suggest we could reincarnate as a plant. Apparently it's limited to the animal kingdom. And then reincarnation sort of suggests transmigration limited to human, that once you're a human, you continue to reincarnate. So I'll talk a little about the pre-existence of the soul as a concept that was quite popular among early Christian fathers, as well as Eastern philosophy. And that uh, when the Roman Emperor Constantine decided that he was going to be a Christian for uh, the early part of his life, he was a pagan. But he looked at the sun for a while, saw a cross, and decided that was a sign that he should be a Christian. And he organized in the 4th century AD this first council of Nicaea. And that's when this whole idea got outlawed or banned, that you shall be forbidden to believe in the pre-existence of the soul. So we'll talk about that today, and what are the implications? It's all what if. Again, this class, uh, to the best of my ability, we want to avoid dogma or precepts that are rigid and uh, inform you in such a way that you get to think for yourself and make up your own mind, even if you have to cobble together a belief system, pretty much what I've done, a little of this and a little of that, and then take that into my meditation and, and my contemplation and see what works for me, what makes sense, and, and what resonates when I wonder about it. So the idea of an oversoul that stands between the creator and the creation is a radical idea, but it's also earth-shaking and can completely transform, or, or I think maybe better said, expand your view of things. That also leads to the concept of mindfulness and communicating with the soul and the uh, nature of non-attachment, which we'll, we'll see how far we get into that today. So having said that, let's do our opening focus, our opening meditation. If you get comfortable in your chair or wherever you happen to be sitting, your sofa or your bed or the floor, you just enjoy that slow rising up to the waking state. And three, eyes open, wide awake, back in the room, eyes open, feeling fine, better than before. Back in the room, take a nice big breath, and as you exhale, relax, wake up even more fully, maybe stretch a little bit, back in the body, feeling better than before. Good. Excellent. Thank you. I enjoyed that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the oversoul. Again, this, this discussion really has to start with the idea of the pre-existence of the soul, which goes back to pagan times, if you wish to use that word, the times of the ancient mysteries, the Prisca Theologia, the ancient wisdom or ageless wisdom, when people intuited their spirituality. And of course, we had 
shamans and guides and medicine women, medicine men, who played the role of teachers and led certain ceremonies and such. But there was a great consensus about life being animated and illumined by a unified spirit. And uh, popular in these ancient teachings all around the world was this idea of an oversoul that stands between the Godhead, the Creator, and its creation. This is the whole idea of the Son of God in Christianity or the Buddha nature standing between the ultimate source and its manifestation. This middle way, as we've discussed. The Son of Father Spirit and Mother Matter. The very word matter, material world, is rooted in Mater, Mother. Hence, Mother Earth and Gaia nature being a mother and uh, the only reason that the male gender is overlaid on father spirit is that the mother is receptive to the father father is causative mother receptive they're polarities they think of god as a uh, as a gender not a woman but a man is to uh, push the allegory beyond common sense. For obviously God could not be less than all that is, so God got us all that is. You sometimes hear that phrase in mysticism. But that's the reason for that gender. But the son of the father and the mother, don't you see the offspring of spirit and matter? The uh, interface or crossroads between energy and mass as an empirical scientist would describe it, is love or the consciousness aspect. So one of the most fundamental ways of looking at the Trinity is spirit, consciousness, matter. And so the soul is a way of referring to that Christos, that Buddha nature, that love between the will of the Father, spirit, and the embodiment that the mother represents, the manifestation, the body of God. The, the universe is the body of God. But we're talking today about the soul. Again, not only the indwelling soul, that made in the image of God is nevertheless, as the story goes in Judeo-Christian literature and the Old Testament and the New Testament doesn't argue it, is stained. It's been corrupted, not because of anything we've done, but we inherited this so-called original sin. This is primarily Catholic doctrine. But the Protestants, the Protestants, spin off, just like all the other denominations, Thousands of denominations of Christianity, half a dozen of Judaism, three essentially. This whole story of Adam and Eve, you know, God saying, imagine your parents say, you can eat anything in the refrigerator except what's in this jar. Well, as soon as they're out of the room, <laughs> you're going to go right for the jar, right? So 
here's the garden, here's the paradise. I just don't want you eating off this tree of uh, knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Because paradise is all good, right? Well, along comes the snake, tempts Eve. She's a naughty girl. She eats the apple and then offers it to Adam, and now we're screwed. I don't mean to mock the story because I think it has validity. It's just, it's been dumbed down. Many people will see the story of Adam and Eve as a choice to incarnate. What if Eden was not on earth, but in heaven, the home of the soul, where the soul has always been? Is it not logical, for example, to recognize that if anything has no end and can live eternally, then it must have no beginning? How could something that has no beginning have an end? How could something have no end and yet a beginning? If it's eternal, it has no beginning and no end, seems to me. And again, not, I, I, I don't want to present this as dogma or the way it is. I'm just offering this to you for your consideration. And it's not mine. Many, many philosophers will say, deep thinkers, from time on of mind in all cultures all around the world that have used logic in this way. It just makes sense. So your soul, if it's going to live forever, if it has any possibility of living forever, whether in heaven or hell or whatever your belief system, it must have no beginning. And yet Christian doctrine since the first council of Nicaea in 325 has said, no, 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 no. Your soul lives forever, but it definitely has a beginning. Conception. Upon conception, when sperm and egg meet, in human beings, and only human beings, because strict Christian doctrines as animals do not have souls. We'll put that aside for another day. When human sperm meets egg, God makes a soul and tucks it inside you, an indwelling soul. And it's stained. It could have been in the image of God, but it's not because of Eve and the apple and all of that. So you're born a sinner, and you're bad, and you're corrupted. Well, when we're bad, when we behave in, quote, evil, unquote, ways, when we're corrupted, it's by our own egoic sense of being separated and so interested and so self-centered, so survival-oriented, according to the dictates of the brain, that we see everything else as other than. We create and reinforce this illusion of separation. I am not you, and you are not me. And this is not that. And an apple is not an orange. Distinctions of appearance, certainly. Distinctions in form, but energy. You can't divide up energy. Like trying to take air and divide it into quadrants or sections or the air in this box is not the air in that box. They're in different boxes. It's different air. This stuff, these belief systems just don't hold up to this kind of scrutiny. 
Hence the idea of the pre-existence of a soul above and free of form, that incarnates or doesn't incarnate, that incarnates once or reincarnates, depending on your belief system. And again, transmigration can be a synonym for reincarnation, although often the way it's used, transmigration goes beyond human reincarnation to suggest that you could come back as a golden retriever or a cockroach or some other animal form. Apparently not a tree or a flower. But uh, or a, or a rock. Thank goodness. But again, this depends on your belief system. But it's important to note because we never ever hear this that the early Christian church fathers—I'll even give you a name: Origen of Alexandria, one of the most renowned and revered of Christian philosophers. In those times after Christ. I mean, the Gospels were not even written until roughly seven, the earliest Gospels appear to have been written about 70 years after the death, the resurrection, the ascension of of Christ, of Jesus. The earliest Gospels. Then there are Gospels that were written 100 years later, 150 years later. I mean, writing was not, reading and writing very few people did that. That was a career. You were, you were a scribe if you were one of the handful of people that knew how to read and write. And basically, you'd be employed by the king or the emperor to teach them how to read and write. It was only royalty and blue bloods. and They would hire these middle-class scribes who knew how to read and write as a career. But gosh, it wasn't until 100 or 150 years ago that human beings en masse knew how to read and write. Very common for people, even a hundred years ago in the United States of America, to not know how to read or write. We seem to be cycling back to that. You see these eight-year-olds with their iPads, are they reading books? Do they know how to read and write? Is there a political benefit to summon power to dumb down America? refuse to fund the schools to be absolutely okay with people being more and more obtuse? I think so, but again, another subject for another day. So Origen and many others, uh, early Christian church fathers, believed in the preexistence of the soul, and it wasn't until the emperor Constantine organized the first council of Nicaea in what is now Turkey, uh, the city is Iznik. It's called Iznik in Turkey. But the old name back in the day was Nicaea. And I'm not sure I'm even pronouncing that right because it's N-I-C-A-E-A. So forgive me. But I know it was in 325 and there were others that followed. And that's when these bishops got together and created a canon out of the Apocrypha, all the different books, the, the, the letters, the essays that were extant regarding the life of Jesus. And they were very selective. 
because Constantine had an agenda. <laughs> he was forming a government. He was a Roman emperor. He was not a religious man. But he saw the church as a way to organize power and to raise an army and to control people. And that went on for a thousand years, the Dark Ages. While the rest of the world moved ahead with science and technology and great literature, even the idea of romance was repressed. Europeans were late to, <laughs> late to the game. It was like the 11th century and not really until the Renaissance. You know, Romeo and Juliet that they even discovered the idea of romance, which came from the Middle East. Romance was not an issue. All love came from God. All love was to be directed at God. It was indeed the Dark Ages. There were no universities. There were no books. The church ran the show. You can see this in the Arthurian legends and the, in the histories of... Uh, the king didn't really make a move without checking with the Pope or the uh, whoever the Grand Poobah happened to be of the church. Church and state were one. That's why democracy and the separation of church and state is so critical. Freedom of religion includes freedom from religion, and government shall make no law. They're completely different even though there are some that are trying to replace democracy with a theocracy, the white Christian nationalist has an agenda to undermine democracy and replace it with a Taliban-like Christian theocracy, Christian Taliban, or what you see in Iran, where the government is run by the church. In that case, it's Muslims. And even then, a very extreme fundamentalist aspect. All religions have their fundamentalists on one end and their mystics on the other end, sort of like conservative and progressive. So it was this first council of Nicaea when the pre-existence of the soul was banned and the doctrine that says, no, 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 God creates a soul upon conception, tucks it inside, it's stained by Adam and Eve's transgressions, and what's the story? You must accept Christ as your personal Savior. Simply said, believe in Him in order to have a chance to live life in heaven, in paradise, return to paradise forevermore. And if you don't make the cut, we got a bad place downstairs where it's really warm, and uh, the devil runs that. Again, I've yet to hear an explanation of if God and the devil oppose each other and hate each other, why the devil is so happy to run hell on God's behalf as a place of punishment. It seemed if the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever, had anonymity and some sort of power representing evil, that uh, hell would be a festival of depravity. But it's not. It's eternal suffering. So I guess the devil works for God. Sorry, I've never heard this explained. I've never heard any preacher, minister, priest, theologian, Christian spokesperson, 
Muslims have their hell. Buddhists say there's a hell. What is it? It may just be reincarnating back on Earth. We've touched on the law of karma in the past. And yes, Christians do believe in karma. They just don't know it. They call it, you reap what you sow. The allegory of the garden. Whatever seed you plant, that's what you're going to reap. Same thing, that's what karma is. So that's a pretty universal law. The truth of who you are is a soul. Why would we incarnate and conceivably reincarnate? Well, the only prayer Christ ever taught was about bringing heaven to earth. To redeem evil, which I think is best described as fear and ignorance. That's what evil is. It's fear and ignorance. To redeem that with love and light, with understanding. How does love drive out evil? The same way understanding drives out ignorance. (laughs) The same way feeling safe drives out fear. But if we think of fear and, and or better said, evil, as being opposed to goodness, there's some sort of tug of war. And there is no tug of war. Evil is like dark or cold. It's the absence of light or warmth, which are real things. You can measure light. We've talked about this, touched on it briefly uh, in, in past classes, that we can measure light. It has a speed. It needs a source. It has to come from someplace, right? Uh, It's a real thing. It's an emanation of energy. But darkness is the opposite semantically in terms of language, but it's not an opposing force. And the Bible and other holy books are full of references to spirit and spirituality and the love of the divine, this connecting consciousness as being light, the light that drives out the darkness. Well then follow that allegory to that means evil exists. It clearly exists just as darkness exists, but it has no source. What's what's the source of darkness? There is none. What, what is, it's like working with the number zero in math. It's very tricky. Uh, what is the speed of darkness? At what speed does dark, darkness spread? These are absurd questions. Because darkness is not a force. It is not an energy. It is an absence of energy. So too evil is the absence of the light, the absence of goodness. It's pretty easily conquered. So what corrupts us? What is it that needs redemption? It's the ego. It's the jiva nature. It's the persona suffering from the belief that it's alone and separate, trapped in these bodies in a world where everything is separated and we're always reaching out and holding on and and begging for connection, suffering the appearances of form, when it's the soul identifying as the soul above and free of form that unifies the polarities of the creator and its creation, of divine will and the embodiment of that which is divine. This is a wonderful, radical uh, concept, rarely discussed until you begin to 
dive into as you guys are doing and perhaps have done and continue to do the field that we call mysticism or the wisdom traditions of the world, perennialism, the perennial philosophy, the Prisca theologia, concepts and beliefs that transcend the separative nature and the competitive nature of organized religion. In a sense, what religions of men, the institutions of organized religion, have done by denying the oversoul is place themselves between you and your source. So that to know God, to aspire to spiritual growth and unfoldment, you must go through the church rather than your own soul. When in fact, I would suggest the role of the church, the mosque, the temple is to serve humanity that we may serve our own oversoul in accord with the ultimate oneness and source of all things. Very different, very different idea. So it's arguably the church is stealing the soul, the position of the soul, the position of the Christ, the son, the consciousness between spirit and matter. And the whole idea that that the title of this class, The Wisdom of the Soul, suggests, and this is the direction we're moving in rather quickly as we as we start a new year. If the soul overshadows us, not merely indwells, that's a reflection. That's like looking in the mirror. If the soul overshadows and stands above and free of form, always has been, always will be. In other words, your soul's already in heaven. It's this separative physical body that lives in hell. The suffering, the self-imposed torment that we put on ourselves. Then what's the church's job? What's the church to do? And further, could we not then communicate with that over soul? Could we not then develop our intuition so that we can get answers to our questions? And I know many people who pray and practice contemplation, believe they're in touch with God, I would not deny that. Or Jesus, I would not dispute that. Or angels or saints or animal spirits or, or guardian angels, I, 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 I'm not here to dispute that. But there's something <laughs> overshadowing that's really smart. Where did that aha experience come from that? Oh, my Lord, you know what I just realized? And out of the whole cloth, this revelation, this epiphany, this lid-lifting aha comes to you already full-blown, already thought out. I'm suggesting that's you. <laughs> not in this incarnation. It's not Michael Benner. It's a soul above and free of form. This is referred to in Hinduism as Atman. There's Brahman and then Atman, and this is esoteric concept. Like they're not separated. It's like layers, like an onion has layers, right? It's a, the wheel within the wheel. Again, when we become mindful, as we did in our meditation today, mindfully aware, stepping back from the thought stream, stepping back from the emotion, stepping back even from the idea that you are the breather and be the witness of this body breathing itself, 
and learn to be the witness of the thinking and know which thoughts are deliberate and purposeful and rich, which are just random garbage bubbling up from the unconscious. Uh, this is not detachment. This is non-attachment to gain that elevated perspective, to be the soul that appropriates the personality.